here we go. Um, we're finishing our year. This is the last sermon of the decade. No pressure. Big deal. You're going to wake up in a few days and you're in a whole new decade. We'll have a whole new thing to do. But today, uh, this Sunday, is the 52nd Sunday of the year. And traditionally, in a lot of churches, this is kind of this island of a sermon. Because it doesn't really fit with Christmas, because Christmas is over and we're all happy to put that to bed. And it doesn't really fit with the new year, because we're not quite there yet. And so this one ends up being one that just kind of sits by itself and you can do anything with. I'm excited a little bit about that, because as a pastor, I see a lot of different things come through my office. And every year sort of has a theme with the folks that I see and the prayers that I'm asked for and all the various things, I kind of get this, I feel like, a view of our culture, or at least our, our little local culture. And, and the word, if I gave 2019 a word, the word would be overwhelm. Overwhelm. It's a term that when I first heard people say it that way, I was like, do you mean overwhelming? And, and the people keep saying overwhelm. I'm experiencing overwhelm. And it's this term that's kind of encroaching in our culture where we feel like there's just too much. Too much to keep up with, too much to do, too much to think, too much to hear, too much to feel. What do I do with the overwhelm of my life? And so what we're going to do today in our one-week island that we get to do whatever we want, we are going to learn what does it mean to overcome overwhelm. And I want to define it by an actual uh, doctor. And so Dr. Marla Diebler describes overwhelm this way. She says, this is the feeling of being completely overcome in mind and emotion. Overwhelm might manifest as an intense emotion such as anxiety or anger or irritability. It's a maladaptive thought process, it's worry, it's doubt, it's helplessness. Behaviors such as crying, lashing out, experiencing panic attacks, often marked by sleeplessness or distractedness. Sound familiar? Some of us are really overwhelmed, some of us go, oh, I got a little of that. Overwhelm affects young and old, black and white, rich and poor, everyone from time to time deals with it. And so it's not just being over busy. While we are overscheduled, that's a real thing. That can be part of it, but that's not what it's about, because this is as much seen in retirement homes as in college dorms. It's that overwhelming feeling of it, the weight of the world sort of resting on our shoulders. Too many thoughts to keep in the brain, too many emotions to keep in our hearts, too many items on the to-do list. It's just too much. I'm overwhelmed. And so I'm uh, asserting that 2019 was the year of too much. And, and as a pastor, I kind of fancy myself an ER doctor in a sense uh, in the spiritual world. And so when people come in, I don't do a lot of things specifically really well. Like you don't want the ER doc to perform your heart surgery, but you do want them to check your heart and get you to the heart surgeon. And so I want to say that out loud to say some of you are in this room going, I got some acute symptoms of what you just said, or I'm feeling like acutely bothered by the overwhelm in my life. And I don't know that a 30 minute sermon is going to fix it. And I would say, if that's you, I got a whole list of mental health resources and providers we can refer you to. We can get you uh, proper help. If this is not the solution to uh, kind of unpacking some of these things for you, we want to be sensitive to say there's more help out there, and I can be the kind of conduit to how do we help you get there. So if you need that, simple as emailing me at kyle at bgcovenant.org. So just my name at bgcovenant.org. And if you just say, hey, I'm feeling the overwhelm and I need more help than I think a 30-minute sermon can, can help me with, we would love to help you. So I wanted to make sure I made that abundantly clear. Here's the deal. When we have thoughts and emotions and things to do, when we have too much to do and, and too much to live, um, uh, to live through, we become paralyzed. And then we go in one of two places. We either go on autopilot or we just sort of zombie through the day, 
stare blankly, try not to think about too much, or we go and turn into the anxiety monster where we attempt to, with all of the different things we're spinning, we attempt to control them as much as possible so as to control the overwhelm in us, which obviously is not going to help. That, that creates a destructive streak that anything that stands in our way of control, even people, begin to feel the brunt of that. You ever go to bed and say, gosh, that's not who I wanted to be today? Or you ever go to bed and you go, you know what, I, I'd be excited to go to sleep, but I've got to wake up and do this all again. It's difficult to live in this world of overwhelm because no matter what we think as we go to bed, the next day holds the same spinning plates and the same full schedule. And it's not new. This is not a technology problem. This is not a 2019 problem. This is a humanity problem. So what we're going to do is look at some familiar words that Jesus spoke kind of around this idea. We're going to look closer at a couple of the phrases he uses. And I think in that, what we're going to see is this was very much a first century problem as well. And there's a first century wisdom that would, if we'd apply it to our day today, we'd apply it to our year in 2020, we might find ourselves at the cusp of something new and kind of beautiful. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter six. Jesus says this, therefore I tell you, Responding to uh, these overwhelming feelings, these feelings of where, 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 where does it come from? What do we do? Jesus, is there enough? Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you eat or drink about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, at a single hour to your life. And, and why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field, how they grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. It is not how God clothes the... If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, and each day has enough trouble of its own. There are people in the room right now that are going, yeah, I've heard that before when I had a a tough season. People sent me that verse, and I just sort of resent it because that doesn't help. What we're attempting to do today is to look at these words and go, how does this help? What is it that we're missing when we say, don't worry about tomorrow, it's got enough worries of its own? What what are the kind of principles we can pull out of that that will actually help us make a difference in our lives? Or for about half of you in the room, you're thinking, you know what, I don't know that this is the sermon for me. I don't know if my year was overwhelming, but man, I know some people who really need some solutions in their life. I think there's two things we can pull out of that. We first have to acknowledge it is not technology's fault. This is not a technology issue. We want to blame it on technology. It's digital. It's text messaging. It's the Facebook. It's the people. It's the Google. I don't know. It's somebody's fault, but it's not us. It's just there's too much stuff. This existed in the first century as a missionary in Africa before the internet. It existed then. You all remember before social media, it existed then. It's just a human problem. It's not a technology problem. And here's why. I think the reason we have this issue with being overwhelmed is two things. One, we lose one thing. We're going to talk about the one thing that we lose. We lose one thing and we chase another. We lose one thing and we chase another. So first, what do we lose? We lose our identity. Verse 26, Jesus says, are you not more valuable than they? What's he speaking about? He's, he's talking about the birds and the grass. And he, Are you not more valuable than they? You worry about where you're going to get provision, where you're going to get food, how you're going to eat. Are you not more valuable than them? 
which I think the question he's really asking, if you come one layer deeper and you peel back, Jesus is saying, who do you think you are? Just some worthless creature scurrying about? To which I'd peel another layer back and I'd ask the question again. I'd say, whose do you think you are? Whose do you think you are? And this is an identity question. Jesus is looking at these, these worried, anxious followers, and he goes, whose do you think you are? I have a, an 11-year-old who is brilliant, who is beautiful, who is serving in the infant room, and if she can hear me through that speaker in there, I love you. She is a planner. She came out of the womb with a calendar in her hand and a pen ready to take notes on what's coming up for the week to come. She is uber responsible, so much so that she wanted to come today to the early service so that she could serve the second hour because she didn't want to miss Sunday school or her chance to serve in the infant room. She's 11. She's just super responsible. What's funny about her, my lovely child, is her love language. I mean, there's these love languages. You've maybe read the book. You've heard the thing. Hers doesn't, hers, she has the sixth love languages. There's five. She has the sixth. It's food. She loves food. She's always loved food. She's loved food so much. Her favorite thing about anything is food. She went to fifth grade camp this year. We said, how was camp? She goes, the food was amazing. We said, hey, we're going on vacation. Are you excited? She goes, are we staying at one of those places with the breakfast buffet? Because that's amazing. And we'll be like, what did you like most about vacation? She'll be like, remember that breakfast when I got five plates of food and I got the boiled eggs and then I got the, well, made my own waffle and I had those eggs. I think they were powder, but I don't care. It was so much food. And we're like, what has happened to our child? She was raised in our house. She's never missed a meal. She's raised like a, a normal kid, but she behaves like a food insecure person. Food insecurity is a real thing. Some people are raised in a house. They got a scratch for a meal. Some people are raised by wolves. And they don't know where the next one coming from. And yet she's this kid who's never missed a meal in her life. And she just loves food to the point that there'd be like Sunday afternoon. She'd be like, Hey dad, what are we having for dinner? And I'll tell her, she'd be like, no, no, like Tuesday. What are we having, do you think, on Tuesday? Why do you need to know? She's like, I'm just, just kind of curious. She's kind of trying to plan my week. Okay. Because if we're having tacos on Tuesday, I got to know that because we're having tacos at school on Thursday. And if you kind of do, I don't want to have tacos twice. So then I would take my lunch on Thursday and we could have tacos on Tuesday. Or We'll work it out, okay? Dad, can you work this with me? And so she's got this whole thing planned. She has food, uh, food insecurity. And she knows me. She's my child. I would die before I'd let her go hungry. And so the reality is she either lives in her identity as my child who will be protected and fed and secure, or she lives in low-level anxiety and overwhelm about all the things she cannot control in the world of food. Now, that's a little bit of a silly example because there's nothing wrong with uh, her curiosity about what comes next, and yet we extrapolate that into the adult world. A lot of us can see ourselves in that place. There's a thin line between planning and controlling. Planning and controlling. There's a very thin line. Planning helps avoid overwhelm. Controlling contributes to it. Healthy people seek to know what's needed in order to effectively plot a course for our direction. Unhealthy people seek to know everything to essentially try to control all future variables. And there's a really thin line difference between the two. Do we seek to know what's necessary to get through the next few days and plot the course for direction? Or are we seeking to know everything so that we can control the next few days and the future beyond it? When we hear it that way, it should sound overwhelming. Can you control all future variables? 
Back to Jesus' question, who do you think you are? Slight intonation difference, but who do you think you are? Because you can control everything in your life and you cannot control the weather, what someone else does, their impact, this relationship, that problem, the stock market. You start thinking, I can control everything. And the second you try, the second is you find frustration because you cannot control everything. So who do you think you are? The reality is there's a, there's a reality of your identity. You're a child of God. So you have to ask the question, is there a plan for you as a child of God? Is there hope for you in your identity as a child of God? Because if you're the master of your own destiny, if you're solely responsible for your tomorrow, then you might be in trouble and overwhelm would make total sense because you are in charge of controlling every variable that could possibly impact your life, and that's hard. But if you're a child of God, the same God who created the universe with a word, who breathes air into your lungs, who numbers your days and knows the number of hairs on your head, you might not have so much to worry about. And that sounds great, but how many of us have been in a place of high anxiety where we've sat down and go, you know what, it's going to be okay, because Lord, you know the number of hairs on my head, and so this big flaming fire, dumpster fire of my life right now, I'm just not even going to worry. Well, nobody says that, so you go, this is not really helpful advice at the moment. That's okay, we're in the diagnostic phase. Identity matters. Our identity matters. When you lay in bed at night, when your identity is secure and you're laying in bed at night, drifting off to sleep, you will feel gratitude about where you've been and you'll be hopeful about where you are going. Is that true of you? When your identity is insecure, you lay in bed and you feel testy and nervous and the gratitude behind you and the joy before you becomes invisible due to the anxiety of what awaits you tomorrow. Does that sound like you? On one level or another, we're all chasing status and wealth and intimacy. That's a fifth Sunday word, intimacy. You read into that what you want. Status, wealth, and intimacy, all as proxies for more control in the world. When we chase status and wealth and intimacy, that is our attempt to control things around us. Relationships, finances, that's our attempt to control. And here's the shame. When we chase control, it always leads to more anxiety. Anytime you chase control in an area of your life, it always leads to more anxiety. Why? Because we cannot control everything. And so, you know what frustration comes from? Frustration is simply unmet expectations. When you chase control, you're expecting to kind of grab control. Otherwise, you wouldn't chase it. And there's nothing more frustrating than chasing something you can never have. And so we actually grow our anxiety as we chase control. And anxiety is the thief of joy. Anxiety is a thief of joy. It crowds out today's blessings with tomorrow's insecurity. When you lay in bed at night thinking about anxious thoughts about tomorrow, you cannot experience the blessing and joy of today. It's a thief, but it's a thief we allow in the door. So first thing we do, we lose our identity. I said first we lose something, then we chase something. So we lose our identity. And the second thing is we begin to chase our own kingdom. And so we're in response to all this worry and grief and anxiety. Verse 33, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus was a Hebrew speaker. The word but in Hebrew is a a big word. It's a little word. It's a little, little line, but it's a big word. It's a hard turn. It's a hard juxtaposition. So much so that if you said something to start a sentence and you put the but in it in Hebrew, it means whatever I said is probably not true. This is the truth. You know, you're a really great person, but, meaning none of that counts, here's the truth. And Jesus uses this word. He says, but, and the New Testament is written in Greek. He spoke it in Hebrew. 
He says, but seek first the kingdom of God. In response to what? He says, pagans do those other things. Pagans seek, they, they seek status. The pagans worry about their wealth. Pagans worry about what they're going to eat. Pagans worry about all this stuff. But that's the lie you can live. But the truth is you are to seek the kingdom of God. As opposed to being like the pagans who seek their own kingdom that they can manage and control. And that really builds on identity, doesn't it? If you're here to seek the kingdom of God and not the kingdom you can manage and control, then there's, there's an identity shift that has to happen because when we seek to control our own world, we're setting ourselves up as the king of our own world. But the second we identify as sons of the king, as daughters of the king, then we have to look at something else. Culture says, build your own destiny. Culture places you in the role of hero and savior. You've been to the movies lately? My family had the pleasure we were given a movie, uh, Overcomer. It's one of these Christian films. There was a time a few years ago when, when you said Christian film and everybody would wince and go, ooh, low production value, that's kind of cheesy. I don't know if I want to watch that, but they've gotten better. And I would actually say the beauty of a Christian film when you watch it, it's so jarring because the hero of the story is God. The hero of the story is God in the Christian film, which is super weird when you're used to watching normal movies because... There's always a hero. And in a Christian film, God is the hero. The challenge of this is when we then go to the movie theater, you know, I don't know, the force is with you maybe this, this season. A few people have seen a show. Who's the hero? It's a Skywalker or it's a Jedi or it's a, there's always a hero. And we find ourselves being placed into proxy relationships as you can be your own hero. You could be a Jedi. You could be a Skywalker. And culture is slowly weaving this hero narrative that says, picture yourself in the place of the hero and you can do that in your own life. If you just had enough courage or bravery or boldness or might or honor. Whereas the Christian film says you can't be your own hero. You need a force beyond you, not the force, a force. You need a God that's bigger than you. You need something else to rely on. You need something to save you from circumstances and situations. It's bigger than this. You aren't the hero. The hero is there, and the hero will save you, but you're not the hero. And that's a super shift because everything else in our culture says you are the hero. You are the savior. If you could just be better, if you could just work harder, read another self-help book, then you'll find hope. Pay attention in the weeks to come. You're going to see uh, resolutions. You're going to see them on television. You're going to see Facebook posts. You're going to see advertisements. Join a gym. Do your thing. All the resolutions you see, I would challenge you to find one that isn't about taking more control. Think about them. Diet, exercise, religion, habits, all the different things you're going to be invited into, invited to take on. They're all about finding greater control in your life, getting your weight under control. Begin to manage your money better. Is it a bad thing to get your weight under control? No. Is it a bad thing to manage your money? No. Be a good steward. That's not the point. The, the point is, even the things we resolve to do as we seek to be better are all about taking control on. Not about releasing it to a greater force, but about becoming the force that can maybe fix our own selves. The problem is these are control mechanisms which will add greater overwhelm, create more anxiety. Paul argues that we don't need more control, we need transformation. In Romans 12, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, underline that word, by the renewing of your mind, transformed. Paul uses a word that is only used one time in the Gospels. It's a compound word, two Greek words, meta and morpho-o. Meta means change, morpho-o means 
the form and embodying inner essence of a thing. That's a big word. Metamorphosis is how we would see it. The only other time it's used is when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, Transfiguration, where Jesus is, the essence of Jesus comes forth and is radically changed. That's a big word. Be reformed and renewed by the transformation, by the change of your very essence. It's a radical shift. That Hebrew word but would fit really well here. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, the way that the world is going to tell you, that the culture is going to suggest that maybe if you just do a little bit better in all these areas, it won't feel so overwhelming. But no, that's not true. Instead, you have to have a whole new essence. Not about having better abs or eating fewer carbs. It's not about replacing your to-do list with a more Jesus-speak to-do list. It's about transformation. It's a radical shift to newness via renewal of mind and mindset. What does that mean? Well, let's have a word of warning. We live in the information age. So people will go, oh, renewing of my mind. This is an information thing. In the information age, we believe, whether we like to admit it or not, we believe that um, if we just knew more, we'd be okay. If we just knew more, we'd be okay. I hear it all the time. People go, I'd I'd serve in the church, but I don't know enough. I'd lead a community group, but I, I need to read more of the Bible. I need to know more about this Christian thing before I can do anything with it. I need to know more. People have money trouble. We send them Dave Ramsey. Here, if you just can learn some stuff, Dave Ramsey's great. If people get it and apply it, it's fantastic. But people go, I can't really manage my money because I don't, I don't know enough. And so if I can learn a bunch, then I'll get it. And so our society, and especially in university town, we believe that more knowledge and education becomes our tool of redemption and transformation. You'll hear it all throughout 2020. It's a campaign year. Solution to crime or poverty is what? Better education. What's your plan for that, sir? Solution to moral bankruptcy is better teaching on morality and religion. We are the most educated society in the history of the world. How's that working out? You think a few more books are going to work? A little more knowledge is going to get us there? It's going to get us more overwhelmed because there is an endless flood of information and none of it gives us the control we think it will. If I just read another book, then I'll have a grasp of this. In the storm of the modern world, more information is seen as a lifeboat and it's really a tidal wave. We think it's the thing that saves us and it's really the thing that sinks us. Is education bad? No. Is more information bad? No, but it is not the Savior. It's not about having more information. It's about having the right information. Ephesians 4.23, Paul says, be renewed by the spirit of your minds. And so the human mind, despite what Silicon Valley will tell you, is not a sophisticated computer that manages data. It's just a sophisticated computer that manages data. Look at the human mind. It's brilliant. It's not a sophisticated computer. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It has a spirit, a mindset. The issue is not that our minds don't have all the information. John Piper says this way, the issue, the problem is that our minds are fallen. They have a spirit, a bent, a mindset that is hostile to the absolute supremacy of God. The issue with our minds is not that they don't have enough information. It's that the more information we get, the closer we think we are to replacing God. If I can just get more information, I don't need to obey somebody else. I can know enough to be somebody else. And this is to say that you and I are all 
hell-bent on becoming our own God. We're all chasing supremacy in our own way, and our chase for knowledge is a part of that in our culture. So what happens when we don't acknowledge God as who God is, and we don't acknowledge who we really are? Romans chapter 1, it says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So how do we find ourselves in this position where it just keeps cycling and more and more and one bad idea leads to another? If we don't acknowledge God for who God is, he allows us to run with what we've already got, which just leads us down a bad place. And so we have to acknowledge that no matter how much I want to be king, God is the king and I am not. And so you can make some changes to your outer world. There's nothing wrong with simplifying. There's nothing wrong with resolutions. There's nothing wrong with trying to be better. But ultimately, hope is found in living in the transformation offered only in Jesus, living in a new identity. And so if you still operate with the mindset that more information is the solution, overwhelm will be yours. If you still operate with the mindset that status or wealth or intimacy will resolve your stress and anxiety, bad news, Chasing status and wealth and intimacy will just create more stress and anxiety. New Year offers new opportunity to be renewed, to be transformed, to reject a culture that says stress and anxiety and overwhelm are just a part of life these days. You don't need to worry about that. You just need to manage it better. Reject that. Because Scripture is plain and it's clear that a human problem that hasn't changed in thousands of years still exists and the solution is the same today as it was then. I'm going to give you a simple three-step application. They're easy to remember. Step one, wake up every morning and start. Before your feet hit the ground, state your identity out loud. I am a child of a good God who has a good plan for me. This is not positive self-talk. This is rooting our day in our identity. That before your feet hit the ground, I'm a child of a good God who has a good plan for me, number one. Number two, read your Bible, preferably with other humans sometimes. Need more guidance on how to do that, who to do it with? Send me that email, kyle at bgcovenant.org and say, I need more guidance on how to read my Bible or how to read it with other people. Or I don't know other people. Can you help? Yes. So step one, before your feet hit the floor, I am a child of a good God who has a good plan for me. Step two, begin to read your Bible, preferably with other human beings. Step three, and maybe step three should be step one because step one and two require step three. Step three is pray daily for humility. Lord, humble me. Give me the humility to wake up and admit that I'm not the king or queen of this world. Lord, give me the humility to open your word because in doing so, I'm admitting that I don't have all the answers and maybe I don't even ask the right questions. And if I open this up, maybe you'll be asking those questions of me. So the three things start every morning before my feet hit the floor. I'm a child of God. Second, read your Bible, preferably with other people. Third, Pray daily for the humility to keep going, to never convince ourselves that we're in charge of this thing. Here's the prayer that I would end with, and this is the prayer for all of us for the year to come. Remind me of who I am, Lord, that I might live as your child. Remind me who you are, God, that I might embrace your truth.
it's not, it's not that complicated, but it's radical. And if we would live this out every day, I would say that 2020 will be the year that we are no longer overwhelmed, but that we become overcomers who can live a radical, renewed life in Jesus. We might actually live the life that was designed for us. Let's pray. Lord, we would uh, beg you to make this true in us. So many of us in this room struggle with this feeling from time to time. It's in seasons, it's in spurts that we are overwhelmed by this life. But there is too much of everything going on. There is too much of everything that we are chasing. Father, we would admit that usually when there is too much, that means there's not enough of you. Lord, our prayer is as simple as it was on the screen. Remind us, Lord, of who we are your children, that we might live that way as your children, faithful and obedient and dependent on you. And then remind us, Lord, who you are. Remind us that you are God and that we are not and that you will define our lives and our truth, that we can come to you to set our paths straight to be the hero of the story, to be the savior of the world, that it is not upon us, but God, you have already shown yourself faithful there. Heavenly Father, pray you would allow us in the year to come these daily reminders. God, give us a sweet community to chase you. God, give us sweet hope to keep us going when times get difficult. And Lord, this morning, give us that brief moment of release, that, that hint of what's to come when we truly live out of our identity in you. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness and your beauty. Thank you for this community. Lift it up. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.